0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new edition of the award-winning Talking About Cars, where it's all about everybody has a car story, from celebrities to car personalities to just people who have great car tales to tell. I'm Randy Cardoon, and this week, I like to think of them as original members of the Talking About Cars family. Yes, when we first started doing this show way back few years ago they were both very generous with their time and they came on the show ladies and gentlemen episode number sevens john Craman. episode number nine scott hope
1: thank you for being on the show <laughs> i didn't know i had an episode number you had an episode <laughs> number. yeah and
0: i'm trying to remember why you had separate episode numbers i think uh, this is an opportunity though to get you
1: guys in the same room together and that's frightening actually <laughs> to have us both in the same room talking about cars for an extended period of time but when we're not actually calling the action on the auction block, of course. Right, right.
0: Exactly. So, you know, we uh, we love having you in the show, and
2: we've seen you a lot on uh, the Meekum auctions. Uh, NBC Sportsnet. I think our next event on NBCSN, Back to Normal, is going to be uh, Houston Mm -hmm. in April. Mm -hmm. Then we've got a real nice run of our normal uh, schedule on NBCSN. I think about 200 hours and 11 auctions scheduled this year. So business is good. 11 more auctions. We've already had a few. Yes. 11 total. Total since when? Eleven total auctions, televised auctions during two thousand and eighteen, the calendar year. We've done one, Kissimmee, Florida. That's our largest, and that one is in the books. So we've got ten more televised auctions on NBCSN, and I think two more or three more more. that we're going to be doing on Facebook. Let's get it right. It'll be our Anaheim auction Mm -hmm. and our I'm sorry, Pomona. (laughs) Pomona Oh, you meant is
0: correct. Okay, so we still
2: refer to our to the Meacham Southern California auction slang as Anaheim. It is not Anaheim. Hasn't been for a couple of years.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. It's that. it's Good Los Angeles now, but it's oh. technically Pomona. Los is Angeles
2: Pomona. is a big, big <laughs>
1: umbrella. It's yes. okay.
0: No, I completely understand that. And of course, John, as I
2: understand it, you, you grew up in Los Angeles. I did. You know, it's really kind of funny. I've got this uh, sort of a blend of of a a Midwestern uh, adult life, but yet my formative years were out here in L.A. age, five to age fifteen. My dad sold cars uh, up in North Hollywood on Lancashire, but both an Oldsmobile and a Pontiac dealership. The Oldsmobile dealership is now the big Toyota dealership up there, and the uh, Pontiac dealership is now the mini dealership. So it's funny. (laughs) I mean, the the times obviously have changed since the 1960s, 1970s. Absolutely. New world. So you went to high school where in this area? I went to high school, a couple different high schools. I went to South Torrance High School, uh, and uh, also actually went to high school. We lived for Europe and Reno, Nevada, but South Torrance High. Uh, is where I actually went to high school at, down there in the South Bay area. Car culture
0: back at the time you were growing up in this area, I, I always hear from guys, and we had Paul Moyer, who was a longtime local news guy, grew up in that area as well. And he would always talk about the fact that there were a lot of guys fixing and tooling on their cars at that time when he was growing up as well,
2: and it was just quite a great place to grow up if you were a car guy. Well, I don't think there's any doubt that Southern California for a long time, really maybe starting in the 1940s, has really been one of the centers. A hotbed of activity for collector cars, fun cars just in general. It started out with hot rods and then it went into muscle cars. And of course, all these years later, now anything goes. And we see a lot of, we still see a lot of that influence out here in Southern California today.
0: Okay, John. So everybody wants to ask, what was your first car? And I know we did this a little bit on talking about cars number seven, oddly enough. But I don't think I asked this one. What was the car, not your first car, but when you were growing up, the car that you first remember saying, Oh, wow, that's kind of cool. You might have been six. I mean, but everybody has a
2: car that they saw and they thought, oh, wow, what is that? Yeah. Mid-1950s mid Thunderbirds, the 55 through 57 Thunderbirds, even as a little kid, I could tell that that car was something special. The first car that I remember seeing in the LA area that really uh, left an imprint was a 63 split window Corvette, happened to have been saddle tan, and it was an automatic transmission. Now, I would have been probably six or seven years old. How do mm-hmm. I remember that? It just left that big of an imprint in my memory bank. And uh, I've always put that car on. I've never had one. I have vets, fortunately, but I've never had a split window, maybe someday. Wow. Did you, uh, was it somebody in your family that had one, or did you just see it on the street? It was on the street. Uh, It was, I was walking home from school, and it was there, and it stopped me in my tracks, walked around it a couple times, looked inside it, noted the automatic transmission, matching saddle tan interior, and I still visualize exactly where it was parked at and what that car looked like today, going back almost 50 years. Hmm. Scott, you in the same situation. Uh, you didn't grow up in California, mm-hmm.
0: but uh, what was the first car you remember, not necessarily your own, but the one that made you go, whoa, got to take a look at that.
1: Well, for it, it's actually kind of similar. It was a friend of mine's dad's uh, Ontario Orange C3 Corvette. And I'm a little, little younger than John, not much, but a little younger. So <laughs> that one actually was parked in this guy's driveway And there was a blue Ferrari that was next to it, and the guy was a doctor, and the Ontario Orange Corvette just I don't know if it was an automatic or a (laughs) a stick, uh, but it just just blew me away. Oh, probably Nine or ten? That's okay because how many
0: nine or ten year olds knew whether or not it was an automatic or a stick?
1: Right, and I wasn't going to go. You know, it was. I remember seeing it. It was at dusk, and I didn't want to touch the thing. I was just like, you know, this being very reverent about it, you know. And I didn't even want to ask, can I open the door? And sit? <laughs> you know, it would. It just, it just knocked my socks off. That's
0: cool. The, the, just the fact that you can remember seeing some, and and you could tell we're dealing with guys who work in auctions, who who do descriptive things, because. Ontario
1: orange? Yes. Now, what is Ontario orange? That's one of the Corvette colors from early C3, the, se- the early 70s,
2: yeah? That's exactly right. And what uh, Chevrolet was doing with their Corvette colors was was describing them from racetracks. Yes. Ah. And, of course, Ontario would have been referencing Ontario Motor referencing Speedway. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Speedway. Bridgehampton uh, Blue was another one? Yeah, and the list goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Red Goodwood and, green. Yeah, just there was a that's what they did. That was sort of the fun way that they tied into the racing theme and heritage of the Corvette.
1: While we have a minute and yes. we're talking about stories, and as sure. you say everybody has a car story, I want JK to tell you the story of the Batmobile.
2: The Batmobile. The original Batmobile the well,
1: 66 Batmobile?
2: Yeah, we all okay. know that we all know that George Barris is the guy that created that car, Correct. kind of a last minute rush mm-hmm. uh, to get the car ready for the show for the uh, you know production of a, of a brand new series. Well, at the time we were living up in the North Hollywood area and I was going to Toluca Lake Elementary School and I remember walking by George Barris's shop there on Riverside still exists there to this day George mm-hmm. of course no longer with us but mm-hmm. have you been there lately exists. by the way just there yesterday. Oh yeah because oh, nice.
0: they redid the entire front end his daughter. Uh, just joji re- just completely redid the front end of the place so it mm-hmm. looks like you just walked into
2: 1957 again but yeah. go ahead I didn't mean you're so I remember I remember walking past there and seeing a faded red what looked like a show car uh, it was of course it was a lincoln future this was the car that was the this was the car that was the the basis the donor for the batmobile and a couple weeks later i remember walking by there and seeing it now all of a sudden wow oh, it looks different it's got all these rockets on it it's painted gloss black not even realizing that it was going to be on a television show so uh, you know real thrilled to see it obviously on the show and still to this day a big fan of the original Batman or not the original wasn't the original Batman show but the Batman show from the 1960s yeah and, and uh, so it was really cool to see the evolution from the Futura to the Batman and how many people can say that
1: you know they as a kid walking, walking show, how cool is that the
2: car before
1: it became the car yeah. that's pretty
2: cool yeah, I've been about nine years old during that yeah kind of
1: so do you remember the movie
0: that that Lincoln Futura was in
2: yeah uh yeah
0: Glenn yeah, Ford, Glenn
2: Ford, and uh, I want to say Debbie Reynolds, but I don't. It might have been Debbie Reynolds. They were over in Europe with it, as I right, recall. Right, absolutely. Was in he was in a military. What's the name of that movie?
0: I should know that movie before I ask silly questions like that. Yeah. I did know it, but it's yeah. some of our listeners will know. What some of you, yeah, write in, and of course, heaven knows how long this will be that you'll, you'll write in after we did this, <laughs> right. but you'll get the idea. So, but that was a great movie, and I. Re- but that, the thing that struck me about that movie. Here's this car that as long as, the as long as the Batmobile is driving in Europe, where all the cars were like <laughs> right. little little scrunched up Vauxhalls and all these other things that mm-hmm. they had. I always thought that was kind of odd. So you're a big Pontiac guy. just because? Is that because of the Oldsmobile-Pontiac relationship that your dad had?
2: I think that had a lot to do with it. And keep in mind, the 1960s, Pontiac was really on a very strong sales streak where they went from obscurity in automotive history in the 1950s to the point where they were going to go away. Uh, to huge success where by the mid-1960s, they had evolved into the number three top seller, uh, Chevrolet, Ford, and Pontiac. They just blasted their way up to the top. So I think it was the fact that my dad sold them and I hung around the dealership a lot and absorbed it and the fact that they were just cool and a lot of other people felt felt that same way. And still to this day, uh, push come to shove. I had to say Pontiac's, mm-hmm. Pontiac's at the top of my list.
0: Well, we'll go down the list of what's in your garage in a minute here because yeah. I'm, I am i don't know. Has it changed in the last few years? It might have changed a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> go ahead. What do you got?
2: Well, the star and the one that's the closest to my heart is my 64 Pontiac GTO. Awesome. I bought that car. bought that car in July of 1976 when I was 19, and I still own that exact car today. Wow. That's great. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Scott was talking about his recollection of an Ontario Orange early 70s C3 Corvette. A couple of years ago, my wife, Christine, at our Kissimmee, Florida auction, bought her that very same car, bought her a 72 Ontario Orange Corvette Coupe, saddle interior, 29,000 mile car that's stunning. And that joins my 2010 Corvette in the garage, my LS3 six-speed, and I've got a black 2014 uh, Mustang GT with the Coyote five-liter six-speed also, prefer manual shift, but Christine, Christine's car is an automatic. How big is your garage? Six-car garage, and it's full.
0: Six-car garage, ladies and gentlemen. And and you went for that, huh? (laughs) She's (laughs) out of your head. She's out of your head, yes, absolutely.
2: Christine's here with us, joining us. Yes,
0: watching and uh, rating every question that I do. (laughs) But that's all
1: right. I understand that. That's fine. So, Scott, your garage. My garage is actually for kids that are about either in college or just out of college or getting ready to be in college. So that's my muscle car lineup at this point. I remember the last time we talked, you had a truck? Yeah, I had a had a uh, Tundra pickup that is no longer with us. Oh, I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. What do you got now? That's okay. I'm driving an old Explorer. Ford Explorer. Not Man, that that's my there's my anything driver. wrong with an Explorer. And you know what? Uh, living in central Indiana, as you know, living up near Chicago, yeah. uh, four-wheel drive can come in quite handy yeah. at times. absolutely, Especially now, during the winter months.
0: So. I talked to the guys once, uh, several of the guys who do the uh, Barrett Jackson shows, and the thing that crossed my mind about they're all over the place doing a lot of things that you guys do with your show and the people who are on the sidelines and the people that are next to the cars, and and I asked them, what happens as you go down the line if you kind of see a car you like and wanted to make a bid on? They, I guess, actually can step aside And have somebody fill in and then they go out and bid during the Mm -hmm. auction if they wanted to. Did that ever happen with you guys as far as seeing a car you really wanted to bid on? And how does Mecham work that or NBC Sportsnet or whomever?
2: Well, because we are all capitalists, we are certainly uh, able to bid on cars. Yes. It's a free country. Still uh, is.
1: It's happened a couple times over the years. I think you may have bid on one. I think Bill bid on one. I was interested in in one a number of years
2: ago, but um, it doesn't happen that often for us. We can. Uh, the times that I uh, bid on cars, it was. It just so happened that we weren't scheduled to be on air. But I think that if we were ever able to have a car and we were doing our show, I think we would. I think my reaction is we would just cover it live yeah and to kind of show that you know kind of show how it's done we had a little bit of taste of that at our motorcycle auction uh in january at south point casino world's largest vintage motorcycle auction where I actually brought one of my motorcycles and sold it there during our show now i was selling it no reserve so i didn't have any obligation to be on the block mm-hmm. you know ready to see if we're going to drop the reserve or what um, so I'd sit back and talked about the motorcycle. By the time I got done t- telling my story and describing the bike. It had sold on the block right in front of me. It was very exciting.
0: (laughs) I think it would have been even more interesting if you were, like, involved and wanted to buy a certain vehicle and then your bidder assistant came over right in front of you and started doing it as you were on the air. Now, how cool would that have been?
2: It would be very cool, and I think that if if that ever comes up, I think that's exactly how it would unfold. Exactly. I agree. I've
0: never seen that before. On, And I I know Barrett-Jackson doesn't do it, and I've seen some of the other auctions that are televised, and I've never seen them do it either. So you guys could have the exclusive on
1: this. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And you know, if you were bidding on a car, Bill and Stephen and I would be just all over you. Come on, John. Yeah. $500 Stop. more. Come Stop. on. Let's go.
0: Right. Okay. This is a perfect opportunity to segue into a, a, a question that one of our listeners and one of our people who follow us on social media had. Because you guys have done this for several years, and you've seen so many cars cross over what was the most outrageous bidding war on a vehicle that you had that had nothing to do with the value of the car? In other words, two guys just started trying to one-up each other just for the heck of it. Do you guys hmm. remember something like that?
1: I remember a couple of occasions. One was last, late last year where a car, and I don't remember the details on the car, but it went probably forty to $50,000 beyond what the reserve was and it was just two guys, it was way over value but it was just two guys that really wanted that car and they were not going to be denied. And then a few years ago uh, the one that really jumps out is uh, I believe it was Kissimmee when Chicken George Boswell and Kathy Hickey, right. who was formerly one of our Meek and Bitter assistants had a couple guys in the same scenario and it was like Ali Frazier. <laughs> and finally, Kathy's bidder ended up buying the car, and George's bidder, at the very last second, tried to get a bid in. It was too late. They had already gaveled the car, and it was it was way beyond uh, the value of the car. I don't remember, again, the details of the car, but <laughs> just the back and forth, was, it was phenomenal. I love those kind of things,
0: though, because you, it almost becomes like a—, a um... Dare I say, testosterone thing?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, oh, I'm not going to let that guy bit over me. I'm gonna, you know, and that's almost the basis
2: of any auction, right, John? Well, we had uh, at our Kissimmee, Florida auction just in in January, we had a pair of GTOs. Not necessarily talking about Pontiacs here, but they were both convertibles. One was a '67, one was a '66. They're both red. One was, was an some, automatic and one, one was, was a, a manual. '67 was an automatic. The '66 was a four speed. Mm-hmm. Same consigner. They were selling back-to-back. So we were wondering and talking about on the show, and it was fully covered on the show, about what you think one buyer will buy both of them to have a set of bookends. And the bottom line is huge spirited bidding. The 67 GTO, the second car, brought double, probably what it should have, because the couple, fairly young couple, as I recall, they wanted to buy both those cars and keep them as a match pair. And they got them. The interview, the the post-sale interview in the State Farm garage, she came up with a comment that she was going to drive the four-speed car, and he was going to drive the automatic car, <laughs> much to all of our delight. So I think everybody went away as a winner on that, the seller and the people that bought it and us that were being, being entertained by their strategy. Yeah. Kind of the whole Sonny and Chair thing, right? Exactly.
0: Yeah. If you remember the Sonny and Chair Mustangs that have come up from time yeah, and time again at various auctions, yeah, they they seem to be uh, something that's kind of the same, and they are shared by the same family. That's always kind of neat. All right, guys. Scott, let me let me turn
1: the Wayback Machine. How did you get this gig? Um, totally a God thing. It was. I remember sitting on the couch in my living room on a Friday night in March of 2008, and a good friend of mine, Terry Lingner, who uh, was one of the guys on the ground floor of ESPN back in the day. Was producing this show, and I didn't know anything about the show, although I had done uh, a promo, a voiceover promo for Bloomington Gold, I think, maybe a year or so before this. And the phone rang, and Terry Linger is one of those guys when the phone rings. You answer it, and you typically say yes to whatever he's asking you to do. And he said, hey, what are you doing tomorrow night? And I said, (laughs) (laughs) exactly, what are you doing tomorrow night? And I said, well, I don't know, what do you have? And he said, how about, I'd love you to host this car show that we have at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. And I said, absolutely. And uh, that was March of 2008, and we've now in our 11th season. Correct. And I think I've missed one day, one telecast since then. Really, just one day. Because mm-hmm. wow. I, I I became sick um, last happens. year in Portland in June, and and uh, ended up going to the med check briefly. Mm-hmm. Everything was cool, but yeah. John,
0: what about you? Now, were you
2: behind this actually happening? Because you do work for Meekam as well. Well, yeah, I actually started going, I went to work for the auction company in 2006, not having any vision or thought of us ever, number one, having a TV show, and number two, me even being on the show. Keep in mind, I was the guy that for the years up to this point would watch the televised automotive programs, auctions included. I'm the armchair quarterback, pointing out, All the things that the other guys were saying wrong (laughs) never dreaming in a million years that number one i'd work for an auction company number two i would actually be on a television show in that same position so what happened was i sold airplanes for 20 years i'm a pilot and a mechanic on that end and i got approached by dana Meekum uh in 2006 about coming to work for his auction company i said yes uh, and then about a year later, the thought of a TV show rolled in, and it was Dana's vision that I might be a good candidate to go on the show. Went and met Terry Linger, the fellow that Scott had talked about that was running the production company at the time. Did about a four-hour screen test with him. And here we are 11 years later with a big hit show on NBCSN.
1: Mm-hmm. I,
0: I always wonder how these things happen, and, and especially because I think a lot of people say they see you guys out there and they go, that is such a cool job. That is such a cool job.
1: And it mm-hmm. is absolutely. It beats working. It, it beats sitting <laughs> behind a desk all the time. No question about it. And I think, I think one of the things that that is interesting uh, and unique about the four of us, the guys that were mm-hmm. together back then, uh, initially it was myself and John and Stephen Cox, and then Bill came along in season number two, and and you know took us, helped us get to the next level. But we hear this a lot, and it's very flattering. It's very humbling to hear people talk about the kind of chemistry that we have. And we're all four from completely different backgrounds. I'm, my background is in television and sports, and and I've loved cars since I was a kid. His background, obviously, is uh, you know a former race car driver. John's is Bill, very much involved with racing and the NHRA. Steven still races, uh, and so it's you know people ask sometimes, do you guys like each other off the air? Absolutely, we hang out. We go have dinner and, you know, we'll call each other from time to time when we're not working and text back and forth and whatnot. But it's just been a great um, a great partnership and a great group of people to work with. And now Katie Osborne being in the mix for the last couple of years, um, it's just fun every time you go to work.
0: You, you were a sports anchor then.
1: I did, uh, yes, background in television and radio and mm-hmm. and uh, worked for an NBA franchise also, so yeah. Ah, what NBA franchise the did you The Indiana Pacers. For? You worked for the Indiana Pacers. Yes. What did you do for them? I uh, did the pregame shows, postgame shows, ah. sideline reporting, uh, and yes, I was here in 2000 when the Pacers and Lakers were in the NBA Finals down I, at Staples. I was
0: in Indiana when they came back there because I worked for a TV station here in this area, and we cool. followed the Lakers back there. Yeah. First time I'd ever been in an airplane plane in lightning saw lightning strike an airplane oh my that was fun but that's that's another podcast we won't be (laughs) i won't be getting involved in that not at all so uh, i guess that kind of explains like if you weren't doing this what you'd be doing is you would be doing sports perhaps you never know john i understand that away from all this on your spare time you're a rock
2: musician (laughs) well I'm an enthusiast. Okay. Uh, uh, Play guitar and sing in a classic rock band called Redline 7000. Been with the bass player since 1992. Our drummers knew. 1998. And uh, we play half a dozen times a year, maybe at the most, car events and uh, some festivals and different things. Just all part of that 60s, 70s car music sort of lifestyle. It all kind of connects. Scott is a phenomenal bass player. We've had a chance to jam a few times. Really? Yeah, You've been uh, in the jazz, show? A, a very talented jazz guy as well. So. Uh, Bill Stevens, uh, one of our floor reporters on the show, is a, a, a jazz drummer. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of connection between cars, interest in cars, love of cars, and you know, performing in some fashion. Mm-hmm.
0: If I would have known this in advance and thought this through, I would have had you bring your instruments. We could have like <laughs> yeah. a little little jam going here.
2: <clears throat> oh well,
0: next then time. Next time, I guess. Next time, you've had on your show something that not everybody does, but they'll bring celebrities on. You guys will sit, and you'll put somebody in the middle. Uh, all sorts of different people, from Jay Leno to uh, mm-hmm. just various other guys. Mm-hmm. Who has been the wildest host or at least uh,
2: guest star co-host
0: that you've had?
2: I'd be curious to hear Scott's uh, the wildest. Perception. I've got one, and most my, entertaining wild, something like that. We had uh, we were at our Chicago auction a couple of years ago. <laughs> you read my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, ho- hopefully, you've got something else because the first one that came to my mind was uh-huh. uh, a rock star, well-known rock star. Uh, it was Rick Nielsen, A Cheap Trick, who yeah. lives only about an hour west of the venue at our Chicago auction, and he's a car guy. And uh, so he came in and sat in the booth for us for a couple of rounds and. Just some of the car stories and some of the the just the the, the antics that he was able to mm-hmm. do with us mimicked what he does on stage. If you've ever seen Cheap Trick live or a video, of just how how uh, wacky Rick is—he's that way in real life. Yeah, that was Get a lot of fun. Cheap Trick on the show. Okay, yeah. go
1: ahead. Well, I was going to say uh, that was the one I was going to point out too. When you when you asked us about the wildest guy who's been there, uh-huh. maybe the most memorable musician that we've had or or celebrity. Wasn't actually in the booth, and I can't remember which year that this was, but it was when uh, Jerry Lee Lewis brought his 1959 Harley Davidson FLH oh, to the yeah. show, yeah, 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 and and put it up for for auction, and this was live on television, and as the and this is maybe a I don't know forty five fifty thousand dollar motorcycle.
2: Just without by itself, connection.
1: without the connection, uh-huh. yes. It had 2,300 miles on it. It was in immaculate condition. But you put Jerry Lee Lewis's name on it, and now all of a sudden, Harley gave one to Jerry Lee and one to Elvis in 1959. And so Jerry Lee comes on the show, uh, not with us, he wasn't up in the booth, but this motorcycle rolls out, and everybody, you know, all the hoopla, and every, we'd been talking about it for months. They roll a piano out, and on live TV jerry lee lewis singing great balls of fire (laughs) right before his motorcycle sells and i think it went three hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something like that oh my goodness that that's one i got goosebumps thinking about that that that's one of my all-time favorite Mika moments it happens to be about a musician about a rock and roll guy in a motorcycle but still yeah that's off the chart that's incredible just the
0: connection to a rock star like that i would imagine really jacks the price up pretty high.
1: Yeah, Yeah. rock stars, uh, definitely a guy like Steve McQueen.
0: i got to tell you this story. I was at a... uh, and I was considering buying a a Challenger, and I was talking it over with the wife, and we were sitting down at a local restaurant, and in the other booth was a guy over just listening to us, and as he got out, he walked by and he said, look, buy the Challenger. I've got a Hellcat that I'm sending out to Hennessy, and we're going to stick an extra kit in it, and I'm going to have 1,100 horsepower. And I looked at the guy, and I said, what? 1,100? What are you going to do with it? I take it you're going to race it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to race it. I'm going to drive it. It's going to be my daily driver. And I'm thinking, you're in Los Angeles. Can you imagine 1,100 horsepower on the 405 freeway in the middle of rush hour? A little
1: overkill in that scenario. (laughs) But you know Mm -hmm. what? You can still say I've got an Mm 1,100-horsepower car, even Mm -hmm. if I'm going 20 miles an hour on the 405. Yeah, no, you're right.
0: Okay, here's another one. Cranky Ed, one of our followers on Twitter, asked the question. We love Cranky Ed. What effect will the advent of self-driving cars have on the collector car hobby, both short and long term?
2: Yeah, it's funny that you mention that because I saw that up on social media becoming more and more popular, cranky, and I responded actually mm-hmm. on Twitter to that, I think, just this morning. And my thought is, is uh, first of all, we're not there yet. Uh, right now, it's a tremendous amount of conversation and speculation, but there's not one you can go out to the showroom and buy a self-driving car yet at this time. More and more automated features on cars, we know about that. Um, so I think when it happens, we'll have a choice. It's not going to be mandated that every car in the showroom will be a self-driving car. We will have a choice. A percentage of car owners will always want to be in control of themselves. Yeah. I would consider myself to be one of those types. Absolutely. And Me so too. I don't think it's going to have any. I don't think it's going to have any real direct impact in the short or the long term, until we get to the point, maybe down the road, outside of our lifespans, where. Virtually everything is self-driving. I think we're a long way from that becoming.
0: Is that a worry, though, only because the younger generation seems to be really looking at that as an alternative?
1: Yeah, and and that's one of the things that we kind of watch and and hope that doesn't happen, you know, we love to see more and more kids are, are not getting their driver's licenses as soon as guys like you and I used to. They're mm-hmm. not as into the driving experience as we were when we were kids. Um, and that's one of the things that is unfortunate. And as time goes on, and as you say, outside of our lifetimes, that may end up being the norm, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, I would certainly, given the choice, prefer the me being in control and manual shift and skip the paddle shifters altogether and let's just go drive the car, because that's what they're built to do. Um, At least that's what they used to be. Top cars on the someday I'm going
0: to
2: get that car list. 70 Hemi Cuda convertible or 71 would be fine, and a 69 Boss 429 Mustang. See, so he just and, and he just and, rattled and, it off. Did you well, notice that? <laughs> yes, he did. And he could he could add another five to that. I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. For me,
1: I would love to get a, a Porsche 911 any year, preferably the air cooled versions. Okay, 63 split window coupe. Yes, 1970 Chevelle. Would love to have a an LS6 motor. 68 GTX, maybe a Hemi, Yeah, 440, yeah, if I could, sure, if not, mm-hmm. 440, and after that, uh, I think of 57 Bel Air resto mod, just completely, almost pro-touring, you know, that, Scott that would Blue be Scott Blue, naturally. Scott Hope Blue, yes, thank you. Scott <laughs> <laughs> He's got his own color. You have your own color, yeah. Yeah, we got to get House of Colors on board with I, that, though. <laughs> they, they haven't returned
0: my calls. See, see, Scott's thinking like a real, uh, a real, you know, advertising guy. You know, yeah. you got to get the, you got to get the advertiser in there to make a little money. You know, on that.
1: Chrysler and Jeep have a new color uh, called Ocean Blue. Mm. And it's going to be available sometime soon. Ocean Blue, and it looks for all the world like Scott Hoke Blue, but nobody ever called me on it. Mm. I don't know. What's I don't know. Maybe they've there? seen
0: you with the ocean. I don't know. Perhaps that's, that's a, that's certainly a so you have your events coming up here very soon uh, you have 11 shows to go for the rest of the year and how great is that for your uh, frequent flyer mileage
1: it's actually okay <laughs> it, it means one it means one of two things either number one you're flying enough to get status whatever that is and number two you're flying too much because you're away from home and well, last and place, last place you went with your frequent flyer mileage uh, that would have been Vegas for our motorcycle auction in late January. Oh, you used and it then for out work. Here, you used it for work. Well, no, I'm thinking like you could oh, have used it as a last, vacation. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh. No, never. Oh, okay. I've Never done that. I've All never right. cashed in. In the bank. Nice recovery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Miles. Oh, you've the bank.
0: never cashed in. I never have. Where would you cash in?
1: What trip would you take to cash oh, in? Oh man. You got to go somewhere. There's a place that in the actually off the east coast of Africa, in the Indian Ocean, it's called the Seychelles Island it's Islands. Look it up. Well played. Unbelievable place. Now I'm going to have to get a ton. Meekham Auctions probably 2025 by the time I get enough <laughs> frequent flyer mileage <laughs> to go there.
2: John, did you? Uh, what do you use? Um, put, put them in the bank. You know, we do get a lot of them and that's good. Same thing with the hotel points, but mm-hmm. kind of putting them in the bank for maybe one of those dream trips. Maybe like to, like to take my wife, maybe to London, Paris, mm-hmm. maybe cash them in at that at some she point. She gave a thumbs but, up to that. Yeah. But you know, in the meantime, yeah. we just keep putting them in the bank.
0: Uh, yeah. I was going to ask a question about favorite snack food at Mecham events. Do you
1: ever eat at those <laughs> things? What's your favorite snack food at a Mecham event? oh well there's a couple somebody and i don't know who takes care of this uh, has a gigantic normally a gigantic jar of peanut butter filled pretzel uh, squares that's behind the stage and then regularly there's a gal uh carol who often drives the firebirds across the block and is color coordinated depending on the color of the cars. that's her outfit oh. she always brings us fabulous cookies and puts them on the back of the uh, of, of our little booth there Wow so that's very tempting John
2: you know it's really tough our shows are long and we have a meal before we go on air but I I don't it's, it's hard for me to maintain an appetite you sort of get in the zone and get locked in um, but uh, I'd have to say that uh, Carol's cookies are probably, uh, Ah, especially the oatmeal raisin ones that uh, raisin ones show up backstage are pretty tough to. Okay, next time they come
0: back here with the musical instruments, we'll have you bring your cookies.
1: (laughs) 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 All right, guys, my mouth is watering. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Now it's time for a cheap plug, guys. If you want to attend a Meekam auction in the future, John, what
2: are some things to remember? You know, we begin to think of a Meekam auction as all about buying and selling cars. And that's what drives it. But uh, it's the best car show that you can possibly attend. We invite people to come out, spectators. Uh, A tip to save a little bit of money is Mm -hmm. to uh, uh, get your tickets online in advance of the auction. Only $20. And, of course, the auctions are held rain or shine, so no threat of not being able to use your ticket. $30 at the door. Gates open every day at 8 o'clock, and you've really got unlimited access of the whole auction ground and the cars. Many of our events, we've got Dodge as one of our primary sponsors, is there with the thrill rides. Not at all auctions, but at a lot of them. uh, That gives everybody a chance to go for a ride with a professional race car driver in either a Hellcat Charger or Challenger. And those have been very, very popular. Mm -hmm. But like I say, bottom line, it's the best car show somebody can attend. And we encourage everybody to come out and say hello to me and Scott and the other uh, folks on our announce team. We love meeting and interacting and saying hi to the people that watch us. Here's another tip. Be careful who you wave at. Because you might buy a car, <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> Did it, that ever happen?
1: Oh, it happens all the time, literally. Uh, some of the auctioneers they'll just stop the auction dead and say, "Ah, oh, we've got a waiver out there. <laughs> Somebody was waving. That wasn't a real bid. We got to go back, backtrack, and and get you know things back in order. It happens. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So no waving at you guys during a
0: broadcast. How about if they hold placards? Could they do that? Sure. All absolutely. Right. Hold signs like you know, on John's team. <laughs> yeah. Team Scott, something like that?
1: Exactly. All right. Bring it on. Totally man. allowed.
0: Thanks, guys. John Craman and Scott Hoke from the Mekam Auction broadcast on NBC Sports Network and Facebook Live. And, and thanks to them for including me in their Facebook Live broadcast from Pomona when they were, uh, quote-unquote, here in Los Angeles. Don't forget to subscribe to all our new podcasts. We're all here at radio.com, or you could listen to us on iTunes. If you do that, make sure you rate us. One to five stars, write a review, and we're also on Stitcher. A lot of you fans are listening on Stitcher, so uh, we're there, too. As well as talking about cars.net. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And, of course, we still have some videos on Facebook and YouTube. And let me get this in. If you're in the L.A. area, make sure you stop by the L.A. Convention Center. Friday, March 2nd, I'm going to be emceeing the Celebrity Stage. That's at the Classic Auto Show. We're going to have a lot of fun talking to a lot of big car personalities. Many of them, like Wayne Carini, have been on our show Not only once, but a couple of times. And some people we're going to be talking to that have never been on the show. And that's going to be kind of fun. In fact, keep it here uh, in the next coming months. We're going to record those and you're going to hear some of those interviews and conversations right here on Talking About Cars. So, until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me as we have some fun talking about cars.